Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. And in this episode, it is time for this month's mini masterclass. If you missed last month's masterclass, it was with Tom Goom, where we spoke all about gluteal tendinopathy. So if you missed it, go back and check it out. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Martin Asker. Martin is a sports medicine therapist specialized in shoulders and biomechanics. He has worked with different elite European handball teams since 2000 and for the last 12 years with a special focus on youth and adolescent elite players. He works part-time as clinical lead at a multidisciplinary sports medicine clinic in Stockholm, Sweden, mainly seeing shoulder-related problems, and part-time as a PhD candidate at the Musculoskeletal and Sports Injury Epidemiology Center at Karolinska Institute in Stockholm. The overall aim of his PhD project is to deepen the knowledge in shoulder function in elite adolescent handball players, and the specific aim is to investigate risk factors for and prevention of shoulder injuries in such population. He has also has a special interest in throwing biomechanics and its relationship to throwing performance and injuries. He is also a board member of the Medical Committee of the Swedish Handball Federation and part of the medical team of the Swedish, Swedish Youth 16 National Handball Team. So, not surprisingly, today's mini masterclass is about overhead injuries in adolescent handball. Now, I know if you're listening to the United States, handball is not that popular of a sport, but this can translate into any overhead throwing athlete. So we talk about a specific case study. We go through the subjective, the objective, and a treatment plan. So hopefully you're going to get a lot of information that you can take with you to your own overhead throwing patient population. Thanks again to Martin for this great episode. Hey, Martin, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you on. Thank you, Karen, and uh, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Of, of course. And just for a little point of reference for people, so Martin and I met in Copenhagen back at the end of January, beginning of February. And But before that, you had met my friend, Sarah Hay. Yeah. In met, Chicago, right? Yeah, I met Sarah at a conference in, in Chicago, I think it was 2016. Uh, yeah. So I... Uh, uh, I was uh, at a conference in Chicago, and and I, I met actually met Sarah on Twitter, uh, as many others, mm-hmm. and then I met her in real life uh, in Chicago in 2016. Yes, and then and then I got the opportunity to meet you at, at Copenhagen. Yes, because yeah. Sarah, like on the way there, she's like, "Well, you have to meet my friend Martin. You have to meet my friend. Um, it was you and Adam? Sen- yeah. yeah, yeah." yeah. And I was like, okay already, geez. No, I'm just joking. And then we met and we spent a couple of days with intense learning in Copenhagen. And here we are. Yeah. Here we are. And just so people know, because you can't see it, but it is happening that I am actually drinking like a full beer. Yeah, full not size, a normal size beer. It is a normal size, not small, tiny size Christian Barton beer. No. It is an actual real can of beer. So, 
Um, today, what we're going to be doing is a little bit of a mini master class. So, but before we get into that, what I would love to know is where did your interest in overhead injuries and in handball come about that led you to your PhD and where you are now? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I'm from Sweden and we grew up in, uh, in the 80s and the 90s where, where Sweden was really, really good at, at handball. Like we pretty much won everything that we, every competition. Uh, so even though I haven't played handball, I played ice hockey when I was young. Uh, I, I really, really enjoyed handball from when I was really, really little, from being a little kid. So uh, when I started my career as a, as a massage therapist, one of my friends played handball and uh, he asked me if I want to join and be part of the medical team. So I think that's yeah, time, time flies. It was 20 years ago. Uh, so I started out working with handball players. And the good thing with handball uh, is that they get injured uh, <laughs> from our point of view. So you get injured from, from, from the head and, and down. So like pretty much every part of the body. And uh, many of them had shoulder problems. And it's really, really, it was really tricky because they kept throwing. And like if they busted a knee, we, we knew pretty much what to do and what not to do. But with the shoulder, was really, really struggling. It still is. Uh, so I came to this crossroad, like either I just give up on shoulders and, and focus on something else, or I just bite the apple and, and really dig into it. So, from like an early early stage of my career, I I tended to to uh, go down that path, just focusing more and more on shoulders. And then, then uh, about five years ago, I got this opportunity to to do my PhD. So I'd set up this this plan because I've been working a lot with with adolescent players. So I had this this project in my head. Uh, evaluating and uh, investigating risk factors for, for shoulder problems because like my clinical experience was once you get it it's you're pretty much stuck with it especially in that age and uh, so it really trying to see how we can prevent it so that's how it, how it all started and luckily i got the, the swedish sample federation on board and, and karolinski institute where i do my phd now and i have some really good supervisors believe in me uh, and then I started my PhD. So hopefully within one year, I, I will finish it. That's awesome. And, you know, we were talking a little bit before we went on the air about how kind of violent a game handball is. Because in the United States, handball is admittedly not that huge of a sport. Um, but you said it was kind of a combination between rugby and baseball. Because people yeah. are, like, you can push people and knock people over and... And it just seems like it's a much more physical game than I thought it was going to be. So I can understand when you said they're always getting injured. I get it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really, really physical game. Uh, so I had that combination of, of like a rough game. So you get hit and tackled a lot. And on top of that, you do a lot, a lot of throwing. So you do like thousands and thousands of pros each each seasons. Uh, and that combination can be, be quite rough on the body. Yeah, I would think it yeah. would be. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's get to our sort of little uh, mini master class and our uh, case study. So Martin had sent this to me ahead of time. So I'm just going to read the very beginning of the case study, and then we will go through how Martin would look at things objectively, uh, subjectively, objectively, and then maybe some treatment options. So here is the case study. 
It's a 13-year-old girl who presented with shoulder pain of approximately two-month duration. More comprehensive questioning revealed that the subtle pain began five months ago during the spring season and gradually increased with more substantial problems during a summer camp in August. Since August, she tried to keep playing, but the pain got worse and worse. Now she can't throw anymore. Her pain is located posteriorly of the shoulder during the cocking phase. No trauma to the shoulder except what comes with handball, which we just talked about. She did not seek care until now and tried to push on because there were tryouts for the regional team and she wanted to impress the new coach. She is a backcourt player, tall for her age and throws hard for her age. According to herself, confirmed by the parents, she reaches the sleeping and nutrition recommendations and she is healthy otherwise. Okay, so that's, that's our girl. So yes. she comes in to see you. What are you looking at from a subjective point of view? What are you asking to get more information? Yeah, so to start with, this is, unfortunately, this is not an uncommon case. This is, I think this is the majority of all the players that are seeking my, uh, to our clinic uh, have a typical history like this. So it, it takes off sometimes a couple of months before, and then it's actually like uh, graduate more and more and more. And, eventually they can't throw anymore and that's when they come see you because they don't see you when when they're when they're pain they see you when they can't perform anymore so what i try to dig into is it's a little bit more uh how did it start like she she denies any any trauma uh which is 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 good it's probably an overuse use problem that we see and what we're trying to do is like see how how what what have you done? What have, have I the first person you see? Have you seen anyone else? Uh, and most of them haven't seen anyone. They ask their coach or or what to do, but more or less they often just become an on and off player. So they play and play and play, and then they can't throw anymore, and they rest for a couple of days, and then they're back on the court, and then they rest for a couple of days, and then back on the court, and eventually that that strategy won't do it. Uh, and then they can come seek us. So, uh, pretty much, it's pretty much the, the same. What I would try to do is, is because the major two things that, that happens when they're pro, either you have pain when they're releasable during the deceleration phase, or they have pain during the cocking phase. So when, they, when they're trying to, to you know, start a throwing motion. And it's often start with just deceleration pain. And in that case, it's they still can throw hard. They can throw quite accurate. Uh, and it's not until they get pain during the cocking phase when they feel like that dead arm, when they don't have the strength anymore, like the, the brain just say, no, we shouldn't throw anymore. Mm -hmm. And so it's not a neurological problem. It's, it's very rare that we see a neurological problem in these young throwers. Uh, it exists, but it's, it's not that common mm -hmm. uh, to my experience. So just that two question when does it hurt uh, and in the beginning it's, if it's if it's just two months and it's the first first uh, occurrence of shoulder problems it's quite easy for them to to explain uh, and the other thing is where does it hurt if it's up top of the shoulders and front of the shoulder and back in the shoulder and, and many times you see in these young young throwers they get shoulder pain in the back of the shoulder uh, during the cocking phase where we see the what we call the the uh, 
posterior impingement or internal impingement. So that's what I'm trying to figure out in the, in the, in the history as well. And the other thing is I wanted to, to just draw or, or explain a typical week. What are your training loads? How much training do you do? How many games do you play? Uh, how long are, you, are your practices? Uh, and what, what do you do in terms of strength and conditioning? How much of, the, 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 of your training week is on the court? How much is, is uh, throwing? She's, this, in this case, she's a backcourt player. So there's probably a lot, a lot of throwing both on the games, but especially during the, the training sessions. And also I want her to, to try to show me how like the season looks like. What do you do during the summer? Because normally these kids and, and also the, the, the senior players, they, they like they're 100% handballed for 10 months. And then we have off season during the summer break, especially in the young ones, they have a summer break. And then there's very little handball, especially throwing. Um, because in, in the handball, you, uh, from, from a certain age, we use wax or glue to, to grip the ball. And it's very hard to do that like if you're not on the, on the court. So, so it's hard to bring your ball. You go into Greece for two weeks, mm-hmm. bring in the ball with, with the glue and find a place to throw. So, so they reduce their throwing load for quite a long time. And then, like in this case, she has this, this uh, summer camp. So one week of throwing, two practices per day. And then you really spiked them below. So I, I really wanted, because I, I pretty much know what's going on in my experience. Like, I would be very surprised if I see something else than, than what most of them do. But it's also important for them to see when they draw, a, uh, uh, when, they, when they, like, write down everything they do for a week or for a month, it's like it's, something happens in the head, especially in the parents, like, oh, uh-oh. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, wow. I haven't thought of this. Like, what are you doing here? Nothing, nothing, nothing. And then you have one week with like 20 hours of, of practice. What, what yeah. would you think would happen? Yeah, it's a problem. Yeah. That's, yeah. And that goes with that chronic to uh, the acute yeah. chronic workload ratio. And I think, yeah. do you, when you're with them, will you like sort of draw that out on a graph and yeah. kind of show them yeah. visually? I'm sure that's really helpful. Yeah, yeah. So, so we draw that like just like a staple diagrams, or or just I just have to feel so so you can see for a week what happened, but especially like during the months and like in most cases from May to September, like what's yeah. going on here? You have two yeah. weeks of that, and and when you explain it, the first thing that pops up, especially when you talk to coaches, like no, but we can't reduce the training here because this is very important. Now I don't talk about reducing practice. I, I'm talking about increases. You can't stop. You can't like, you can you can take it easy, but you can't stop for three weeks and then right. expect you to go back to where you are before. Absolutely, and and yeah. that can be difficult. I'm sure for like a teenager. Yes. You know. Yeah. So, so at this point, what is the hypothesis you have in your head about yeah, this that, particular girl? Yeah. In this case, it's is. Since she has no trauma to the shoulder, so I don't expect that we will see any any significant injury in the in the shoulder, like a slap lesion or bank lesion, and any injury like that. Uh, it's more like a, a flare up in the tendinopathy. So I have a tendinitis, like a sore rotator cuff. That's that's the first thing that happens, and then 
that makes an, that takes an expression when you're when you're throwing and it's painful in the deceleration phase and what happens with the pain is that you probably will will change your motor control so you will be be whatever you call motor control if you, if you just call it your your throwing capacity or your shoulder capacity that would that will decrease so eventually you will drive into to ending up with several other problems and the end station of that is for many of the cases in this age is the posterior impingement so eventually it will be painful when you start throwing and then you will have no performance and uh, it, so let's say for this girl she's got pain sort of in the cocking phase does that pain will you see that carry over into deceleration as well is it just sort of the whole movement then becomes painful yeah eventually the whole movement will become painful and she will get like we recall eventually but we mainly see that in the in the older adolescent players and the senior players eventually she will get obviously a normal impingement or subacromial pain because everything gets so sore around the shoulders she gets bursitis like it just adds on and and then you have a player on the, on the other side this the 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 diagnosis here if you look at the specific diagnosis it's like like an overused shoulder just saying stop but after a couple of years you will find a lot a lot of things in that shoulder so mm -hmm. pretty much everything you can from the textbook uh, because she just kept on and added on another thing another thing and then we'll see a, like a, a slap tears coming up grade one and then grade two and then pretty much everything you can can see in the shoulder yeah, and, then, and and this is kind of that. I'm going to just take a couple of days off. I'm going to not throw, and then I'm going to go back, and then it's going to be yeah. painful. And then it's just rinse and repeat throughout the years, yeah. which I'm sure yeah. some, some athletes certainly do that. Yeah, yeah. She had pain for five months. That's actually like It's a quite long short. time. Yeah, it's a long time. But, a long but, time. Yeah, it's a long time. But, but on average, in our clinic, they have pain for seven and a half months before they come, come seeking us. Yeah. So she's an early, what we call like an early medical care seeker mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately like because we we have this culture in in certain sports like in handball it's like your mother father play handball they had a sore shoulder your, your coach had a sore shoulder like half your teammates have a sore shoulder so so it's like ah, it comes with a game so at some, to some some extent it comes to the game but if you can't throw anymore, that's, that's just beyond. That's not part of the game. Right. And then how does your education then go uh, with this player, with the parents, and then with the coaches? So you've got all this information. You have a pretty good idea of what's going on before you even do any evaluative procedures, any hands-on procedures. But let's say she's there with her parents or with a coach. I mean, I would just, how does that education start? And does it start at this point? Yeah, I think it's it's it has to start early because if you have the first session, uh, most of the time is spending on like in this case you get a pretty short picture of of what's going on and and quite sure even before we do any objective uh, assessment of the shoulder, I'm pretty sure what what's going on. So it's it starts very early from from just when when she uh, explains how the weeks look like or the month look like that's that's just her starting thinking of that and, and the parents sit right beside her and like okay yeah it's much it's not and then I can fill in like you doing what you're doing your ratio between a game and, and practice is it's quite screwed 
Like it's, it's, you should do a lot, a lot more training in your age uh, instead of, of matches. And, and the other thing is, is, uh, what, what it's, what I often do with the, with the, uh, with the player and the, and the parent, because she's a teenage and, and she's really good at sports and loves her sports. So she has just pretty much one thing in her head. Just, I want to play handball. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And, and the parents love it because they have a happy teenager. It doesn't just bang the door and, and, and trashes the, in the house with parties. Perhaps she do that as well, but, but they're just happy that she's happy and she's really good at something. Uh, so what I'm trying to tell them is like, but how good are you now? So you, if you put it on your court now, uh, how good are you? I can't throw now. So you, you like, you, you, I'm better than you in handball right now. Mm-hmm. So what you've been doing now hasn't been working, has it? No. So we have to convince them like being an on-off, on-off player, it, it won't do anymore. Like that you have to skip that strategy. You have to do something else. So just shifting that mind that that is not the right thing to do because mm-hmm. you, can, you can talk to them for an hour, two hours, and like this is the plan. And then the next thing, like the, the last thing they say before they walk out the door is like, okay, I have this game coming up on Sunday. Can I play? And just spend two hours explaining that like we probably have two months where we're going to do like this and this and this. And like, okay, good, good. I have the exercises. Perfect. Uh, can I play next week? So that's that's just the thing that it had on the mind. So that's yeah. the tricky part with this with this play. It's not the tricky part is not like finding an exact structure that's that's causing her pain or whatever. It's like shifting that her her focus. Like you have to be shoulder smart. This is your this is like this is your weapon. This is what you, what you have to really really take care of. You have to be really shoulder smart. If you can't throw. Then you're just like there's nothing else. There's no plan B. Like you can't just stand there. This is not yeah. a sport where you can't throw. So, so just shifting that, and also because she's 13 years old, she has like at least 15, 20 years of a career ahead of her. But when you're 13 years old, you 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 plan like half a day. Well, everything's the end of the world when you're 13. Yes. Yes. So there's a huge psychological component here and being able to mitigate that for a 13 year old is one thing and having to do that for the parents is another thing. So as the treating therapist, you've really got a whole family that you need to take care of and it's difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Because as I said, she has one, one thing in her mind. It's like, I want to play handball. I want to be the best handball player in the world. And she already told us like, she wants she pushed on because she has this like triads coming out new coach who wants you press so all these are the like the triggers that will will take her down the wrong path so we have to figure that out as well if we don't do that she's gonna just sit there and nod and nod okay okay and then she will go home and just go back to to a normal track mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so in, in this case you have to I, I try to talk with the coaches as as much as possible so just give me the number to the coach and I would call him because we know that what I say to the patients and if the patient tried to repeat that or tell someone else, it could be, yeah. Yeah. We've all played the game of telephone as, as a teenager. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. And also depending on the coach being 13 years old and, and coming back to the coach, they said two months 
and the coach gets disappointed. And if it's a really bad coach, it takes it out on the player. So, so to to prepare the, to um, to help the players deal with that, uh, it's a good thing to talk with the coach. Like we have this player in your team, uh, as you know, she can't throw anymore. Uh, she has a whole career in front of her. She's really talented. Give us two months, and we can work with her, and she will be back. Um, as good as possible. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's that's hard. That's really hard. Yeah. But I think yeah, I it think is. it's important that everyone knows that when you're treating an athlete, especially a young athlete like this, that it's you're educating more than just the patient, and that it's really a a um, a wide circle of people that need to be involved. And as the treating therapist, you have to be the one to reach out to those people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So what? are you looking at in this patient from an objective standpoint? Um, yeah, so we, with this patient, it's from history, uh, what found out there, we're probably not going to see any major pathology in, in her shoulder, uh, as we said before, but we start with just a quick inspection uh, to the player, and without reading too much into what we're seeing what we need to recognize is in these players we often see side to side differences they often have a more rounded shoulder on their dominant side uh, different scapular position and, and so on so the inspection is more to see if we see any major differences within the in the shoulders and we mainly see that in the in the traumatic shoulder and not in the, the overuse shoulder as we have in front of us so don't tend to read too much into to that and then move on to to active and passive range of motion and uh, see if she she has the ability to go into that that end range of motion is very important for throwing and also is that is painful is it pain that limits the the range of motion or is it more lack of range of motion due to like muscle tension or or tightness of, of the shoulder uh, and also then we do resistant movements so isometric and or uh, eccentric strength measurements uh, see if that is uh, provoking any pain testing in a neutral position and also in her, her throwing position if it's not too too painful trying to detect if you see any side-to-side -side weaknesses, um, especially in the dominant side where, where she has a problem in that case. So those are the main, main things. And then also do, do a thorough palpation throughout the shoulder. So palpating the, the bicep tendon, the AC joint, You're probably not going to find anything in the AC joint. We often see that in the junk area as a, as a traumatic uh, injury when we see AC joint problems. Uh, so palpating the cuff all the way around the back of the shoulder where, where she has described her, her pain. Um, but as I said, in, in her case, we're probably not going to find a specific structure. So what would be interesting to test if she has any underlying instability in the shoulder. So we're doing the apprehension test. In this case, uh, it's not necessary that she's feel uncomfortable because she feels like her her shoulder is popping out. It's more that we're provoking her pain in the in the back of the shoulder, and trying to do that apprehension test in various positions of the shoulder, not just a 90-90 position going from. Instead, we're going from like four to five degrees of abduction up all the way to 180 degrees because they're not throwing in the 90-90 position, they're throwing with a little bit more 
mm -hmm. abduction in the yeah. shoulder. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And, and now when, um, you're, when you're measuring um, strength, what are yeah. you using to measure strength? Are you just going by your feel or using a dynamometer? What are you using there? If, if, she's, if she's very sore in the shoulder and it's very painful, uh, it, I would say it's not necessary to, do a, uh, to use the dynamometer because the, the numbers that we're going to get out of the, the machine is not going to tell her axial strength or not. So then just, just doing resistant uh, movements with my hand. But if she's not that painful, and especially when she's in, in the neutral position, the zero, zero position, just external internal rotation with her arm on the side, uh, that's often less painful. And then I use the, the dynamometer so I can get a like, really good objective measure of her, her shoulder strength. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's really useful in the in the clinic uh, to have a, a dynamometer to use uh, but just telling if someone is 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 very weak in the shoulder you can probably do that just just with your hands but Got to it. get a good objective measure uh, we use the dynamometer okay case. all right good uh, and other specific tests like testing for for slap lesion or biceps tendinopathy uh, it's as i said we're probably not going to find anything here she hasn't had any trauma she doesn't describe any clicking or deep pain in her shoulder or or um, pain when she's she's lifting or doing doing biceps curls after that so we're probably not going to find anything there uh, so i would say it's not that necessary to do all the, the tests that you have in your batteries for for this this patient mm -hmm. she doesn't have an underlying instability uh, I would say it's probably not necessary we're going to find anything like a slap tear or, or biceps tendinopathy. Uh, definitely going to see any uh, cuff rupture in this age. She's too young for that. Um, but it's more, as I said, like that internal posterior impingement uh, when she's in the cocking phase. So that's what we're trying to provoke. Uh, and we're doing that with the apprehension test. And then she says, like, yeah, this is actually what, what I feel when I'm throwing. It's mm -hmm. the pain in the back. Yeah, mm -hmm. so it, we're making sure to to different that to uh, instability when she describes like, oh, I don't want you to go any further because it feels like my my shoulder's going to pop out. It feels like I'm. I don't want you to do that because mm -hmm. that's a whole different patient. Because then we have a, a shoulder instability and mm -hmm. we have to figure out think about that when it comes to rehab because mm -hmm. it's two different patients. Yeah, right, right. So you're kind yeah. of doing the same test, but you're looking for. So you're doing the apprehension test, which could tell you two yeah. different things. It could tell you yeah. if there's that instability, the anterior instability, or if there is some sort of posterior impingement. So it's important to ask the patient when she says, oh, don't go any further, why? Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's exactly the thing. And because, and, yeah, we have to difference those. Because you can have a, a posterior uh, impingement uh, because of an underlying instability. That causing mm -hmm. that, but just having the posterior instability not necessarily means that you have uh, an instability. Got it. Yeah. So you could be have posterior impingement with or without an underlying instability. Got it. Yeah. Got it. So so we have to difference those those two because there are two different patients of to begin course. with when, when yeah. we start in the rehabilitation. Great. So, so anything else that you're looking at from an objective standpoint? I used to do a lot of measuring with passive or, or active, like seated rotation, 
or extension of the of the uh, thoracic spine mm -hmm. but like what we've done in, in my PhD project and we see in other studies as well that what we measure on the bench uh, it doesn't correlate what happens when you're throwing because when you're throwing a maximum speed like for range of motion in the shoulder it's they come up to so much more range of motion mm -hmm. than what we measure and the other thing is we don't actually know what we're measuring so if you look at the shoulder it's is it muscle tension is it the the humeral torsion is it a joint capsule so we don't know that when we measure so we have a measurement that are really really ob like good objective really reliable but it doesn't correlate what happens in in the real sports setting so i tend to do that less and less unless we see something really obviously we're like oh you have a really really decreased range of motion on that mm -hmm. side or in the shoulder or in the thoracic or in the trunk or thoracic spine but otherwise i mainly look at get a picture of what how do you throw uh, and then you end up with the question like is this something that we can or want to change like your throwing technique she is rather young so in this case we we have a chance to 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 change that or adjust change, it you can, you can change some habits there yeah, yeah. like yeah. try to throw with the light, your arm a little bit higher trying trying to work with your trunk a little bit more etc but we have a senior player like on a professional level and looking at them throwing like and then we're throwing like that for 15 years or something changing that it's a it's very hard and b it's probably just going to f things it up it could be a little risky yeah for yeah. sure for sure so it's it's i tend to be more and more like okay this is how you throw you do a, like really fast whip throw it's gonna put more demand on your shoulder so in that's that case i know what 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 you're gonna do with your shoulder so we're going to prepare you for that rather than changing your your biomechanical or technique right that's easier to do when you're really really young but in her case here she's been throwing for six or seven years mm -hmm. so changing that it it takes time and it's not necessarily better for her performance and not necessarily injury preventative so i i have that in mind but i don't like measuring trunk okay now we're measuring shoulder now we're measuring that broadly i i watch them throw and then i get a rough figure like okay this is how you throw is this something that we do i see something like really clear like okay I, I want to change this or improve that you're you've got some clinical are there any other clinical findings that you are really going to look at how about um I, I i don't know how common this is in Sweden, but in the here in the U.S., like everybody gets an MRI or CAT scan yeah. or an X-ray, and are those is that something that is very common? Is that something that if this girl came to you for the first time, would you recommend an MRI? No, it, it, it's quite common in, in Sweden as well, and and uh, often they, they come and have an MRI because it's it's especially in in, in Stockholm, capital city, it's quite easy to get one, especially if you're if you're ready to pay for it for yourself you can get in within a couple of days mm -hmm. uh, but in these young players without any trauma nothing like i i suspect anything like to be really really damaged in the shoulder so i wouldn't send it to an mri if, unless i find something like in the in the like major loss of of function 
Mm-hmm. But in her case, if she stopped throwing, like within two, three days, her shoulder works perfect until she like goes up and, and throws a lot again. Right. But if it wouldn't, like if you rest for three or four days, your shoulder should go back to, to like normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it doesn't, like if you still have significant loss of function in your, uh, like in your daily, daily um, situations, that does not include handballs, mm-hmm. or if you have a significant trauma, then then an MRI or start with an, an ultrasound. Yeah, example. it's definitely warranted. Okay, are there yeah. any other objective things that you would look at before moving on to some possible therapeutic treatments? I think that 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 covers m- most of it. Okay, so we've got our object, we've got our subjective, we've got our objective. What are you now thinking about on a potential treatment or plan of care? And obviously, we don't have to get super specific, but just so that people have an idea of, okay, this is this might be a cup, this might be a good plan to follow. Yeah. So in her case, it's it's I think it's three major things. It's to go through her like weekly schedule. Uh, and the main occasion, like she's a young, talented girl. Uh, she throws hard. She's just very, very uh, attractive to the coaches. Uh, and it's not common that they play on several teams. They play with the with the youth the youth fourteen team, and then with the mm-hmm. with the one or two year older uh, teams. So one of the things going through, like because she's in in her growth period, which she can really, really gain some strength and conditioning. Mm-hmm. And she uses like many of it, uh, I would say too much time on, on matches. So she's playing like three or four matches per week, which perhaps should be one or two at mm-hmm. most. And the other time would be just strength and conditioning and, and handle building that up like a physical uh, fitness. Because at some point later on in her career, she has to be really, really physical fit. And now is the period when she has a chance to, to build that up. Mm-hmm. Like she will play thousands of games like later on down the road. So many of these games, I would say it's not that important. Like she thinks it's very important. Her coach is really important. Yeah. But if you look at it, and that's also something that trying to get them to have a perspective. Like if your major goal is make it to the national team, then many of the games on their way down that road doesn't really matter that much. It will be like one of the 10 that will really, really matter. And, and trying to get them to, to figure that out. So that would be one of the things. The other thing mm-hmm. is just to, to rest the shoulder for a while. So we get that so that it, it calms down a bit. And, and then we're trying to, to build it up, especially and, build up this, the strength around the shoulder. Yeah, and sorry. when you say rest for a while, do you have a time period? I assume it's sort of patient dependent. Yeah. But when you say to them, I want you to rest for a little bit so that we can get back to playing, not yeah. this is indefinite, I'm sure. But yeah. what are sort of average... Like, let's say for this girl, given her history, five months of pain, really days where she can't throw it all, what would be the average rest period for a patient like this? I would say like rest from, from throwing or any, any heavy stuff on the, on the shoulder. Mm-hmm. I'd say we rest for, for seven to 10 days. 
Okay. And then we come back, and then we'll do new evaluation. It depends on, on how sore mm -hmm. she is on her first, um, sure. first session. Yeah. Sure. But that's also is, is if we say, like, you're going to rest for two months, because we could end up, like, no throwing for two months. But if I say that, she comes in and she get like, that throw in her face, uh, because that's often not what, what they're expecting. No. I've, I no. mean, I've said that to people, and they've turned around and found a new therapist. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's, if I look back, I think that's when I say that, there's like, okay, I see you in a week, and within two or three hours, like, send an email or just cancel the, the online if you don't want to talk with you. Mm -hmm. So I say, like, we rest for this, and then we're going to do a new evaluation. And, and what we're going to do is that we're going to build up your shoulder capacity. So I try to explain like the whole, the whole plan. And, and I don't want them to rest from, from throwing or rest from the handball game uh, for a long period. I want them to rest from like the 100%, like the 90 to 100% heavy throws. I want them to rest from, from that, that major rugby stuff that happens when someone grabs and pulls your arm. I want them to rest from that. Uh, and most of them are like okay with that. Mm -hmm. the, the thing is like they, they have this super important game that's coming up. So that's what we have to, to work with. Uh, but I, as long as you get them on board, like if it, if it takes two months or three months, like that's for, for them it's a really long time as we said. But if you can get them on board, like you know what, you're going to have 15 years of career. And I'm pretty sure that you're, you're going gonna to get through these two months because pretty much everyone that ends up in a national team has done that. Pretty mm -hmm. much every one of them have at least two months off during their adolescence for some reason, some injury. Mm -hmm. uh, and it worked out well anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so being very reassuring, not being, not telling them, no, 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 no. But just saying, listen, we want you to take a break from this aspect of the game, but yeah. you can do other aspects of it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So, because so, that's one of the major things that we see that really, really demotivates them is if they get an injury and they can't be part of the team. So mm -hmm. they, feel, they feel like they're put outside. Uh, and that's when they started doubt about themselves, started doubt about the coach ever going to see them again if they're like the, that's, that window of opportunity, that spot for the national youth team. It's all gone now. It's, it's never going to happen. So we really want them to just, just take that little thing away. So you still, yeah. you still need, you can't rest from handball and then come back after like six months and think that everything's going to be super good. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, and then we have these, this uh, time to build up the shoulder capacity. And for many of them, especially these young ones, it's about shoulder and the kinetic chain strength. That's, that's what we're basically going to focus on. So there's nothing they have to heal in their shoulder. It's just things that have to calm down. So as soon as that happens, we can start, start doing that. We're going to do a lot, a lot of, of shoulder strengthening, uh, especially rotational strength and, and abduction strength. Uh, and in this case, depending on on uh, on how strong she is to begin with, how shall, uh, how used she is to weightlifting, etc., we have to to see what what level she is 
she is on, but that we're going to focusing on, um, and especially the external rotation strength, which which is really important to to throw its shoulder, uh, and trying to to uh, go from quite easy stuff up to heavier and heavier stuff and especially doing strengthening in their full full range of motions full rotational range of motion uh, so going from full external rotation into full internal rotation and so how do you like, know when it's appropriate to move into those higher ranges of motion or more towards yeah. those end ranges what what do you use as a, a bar as measurement to say okay now we can move into some higher ranges yeah it's a good question she, what i'm trying to do i don't want to provoke her pain like the pain that she's describing when she's throwing that's what we're trying to avoid she could be tired in the shoulder feel a soreness around the shoulder well, the things that comes with with strength training but i don't want to to describe that yeah that's my my throwing pain so to say so that's that's the that's the that's the thing that we're really really trying to to uh, avoid so that's what what's steering the whole whole, whole strengthening position so in many cases it's okay for them to to do quite heavy loads just a couple of degrees below so they go into a little bit more of, of induction or don't external rotate that much uh, but i still want them to keep doing keep going on to that motion but perhaps we can't load them that much at this point but i still want them to to be in that potion potion position because uh, i don't want them to get too too stiff so i want them to do the whole range of motion, but, mm -hmm. but we can't load them too much. So it's, it's the pain, they're, they're throwing pain, so to say, that's, that's, that we're looking for. And then you're just sort of playing around with load as you move up through range of motion. So you may be a little heavier in the lower range, and as you move up, go a little lighter until they're a little stronger, and then a little heavier, and then kind of keep seesawing back and forth between range of motion and load, is that right? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's perfect okay. to describe. Yeah. Okay. So we exactly that what, what we're trying to do, uh, and and it's also easy for them to to uh, to know what to do and what not to do. So that's the only thing that we're quite specific with. I don't want you to get your pain here, but try to work it work around. Uh, but we need them to to be to be in that position where they where they're throwing because that's. That's where, where they, they put the force on the shoulder. Of course. They have the demand on the shoulder. So eventually they have to do really heavy loads at that position. Yeah. Uh, sleeper what, stretch is very, I was, very gonna I was just going to ask that. I was like, what do you think of the sleeper stretch? I think it's, it's what happens because we see, we could see like in two or three weeks, we see results that you increasing your, your internal rotation uh, quite a lot. But what we know now from, from um, like the explanation of what happens when we stretch is if you get like that quick results, it's probably just you're telling your brain that it's okay to go out to that, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that range of motion. And as I said before, like we don't know exactly what's, what's like decreasing or, or what's, what's causing the, the lack of lack of rotation right and and the other thing is it doesn't correlate what happens when they're throwing so instead of having everybody doing passive stretching we we i i do a lot of strengthening in the end range of motion 
because you have to be stronger and uh, the side effect of that is you you gain range of motion mm -hmm. and like what are some examples of maybe an end range of motion rotation exercise that you might do yeah so i have them lying on the on the bench on their in the supine position so just going in external rotation with the dumbbell mm -hmm. uh, or with a kettlebell like that and eventually like going just full external rotation and extension you know mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. and also doing the same thing when they get the, the strength to do it so we're doing a lot of, of eccentric in that that position and the same thing in the internal rotation so they have them in 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 the Hawkins Kennedy position, if you call it like that, and the same thing with the with the mm -hmm. dumbbell, mm -hmm. and doing both concentric and eccentric strengthening in that position. Cool. But it it's, it's a few steps before you get there. Of course. Uh, yeah. So you're not taking. You mean you're not taking a heavy kettlebell and doing that right off the bat? No, no, it's not because because and and we have players that try that and they come back and say this is the most idiotic <laughs> idiotic things i ever done because just made my my shoulder no i'm super sore yeah yeah now i'm yeah. super sore but it, yeah. it's and i i when i teach these courses and all these people come up like and say oh this is how can you put him in that position with like like it's 20 kilo dumbbell like but when you're throwing it's a handball that weighs around 400 uh, grams and when you're throwing that with that speed 120 kilometers the force on the shoulder is nothing compared to uh, or what we're doing in the gym is nothing compared to mm -hmm. force when you're throwing so and that's what we have to prepare them for so doing that with a 20 kilo dumbbell it's pretty much like half of the force that is put on the shoulder when you're when you're throwing so it's still nothing near that yeah. so yeah so and, yeah and obviously you're not starting out with that weight you might be starting out with a couple of pounds sorry american yeah. I I'm not good with the grams yeah. and the kilos yeah. and all that, but you may be doing the same range of motion exercise or the same strengthening exercise in those end ranges motion, just with less weight. Yeah. yeah. And then progressing through to heavier weights. Yeah. So in this case with our, our 13 year old player, uh, she would probably just start with her arm as a weight and then move on to perhaps use the ball as a weight and uh, then eventually air band. And in the end, use a small dumbbell or 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 small kettlebell or weight ball so that would fit perfectly more perfectly for her uh obviously not going up to the 20 kilo dumbbell right right uh, so you're looking case. at a realistic progression based on the person in front of you yeah yeah exactly yeah. and when she can do that we started doing more more power exercises so throwing a medicine ball or weight ball mm -hmm. and more plyometrics so dropping and catching a, a sand ball or a weight ball and eventually going more and more into a throwing program. So I have a throwing program and uh, it's eight steps. So throwing program. So if you can do it for one week without any flare ups, you can move on to the next step. So going from like doing 50% of, of your maximum throws and then go up to 60 and 70. And mm -hmm. next week you do the first step as a warm up. If it's still feel fine, you go go to the next step and you do that. And then eventually we do a return to throwing program. And I do that three times a week. Because if you do it once and they and they clear it once, it could be just luck. Or they can just mm. be eating or or mm -hmm. so and then I come back uh, every second day and do it so 
one day of rest and the rest is is for the rest but also see if any flare-ups anything mm -hmm. happens mm -hmm. after the, the night and, and when you're doing that 50 percent, is that 50 percent of total throws or 50 percent of their capacity as far as you know you just said the amount of force that goes to the arm so is yeah. this 50 percent of total throws as in let's say they were i'm going to make this up instead of throwing 100 they're throwing 50 or is uh, it the velocity no. of the arm yeah the velocity so we're trying okay. to do the, the the same number mm -hmm. uh, and okay. because, because when you're throwing you can throw you can throw pretty much i would say you could throw 500 pro if it just passes if mm -hmm. just stand front, you, 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 your legs will get tired before your shoulder. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you get up to like 85, 90%, then when that's like the level when you put a lot, a lot of force on your shoulder. Got it. So we're okay. trying to, that's what we're trying to, to, um, to build up to. Got it. Do you, are you exercising everything aside from just the shoulder when they're in like a, a, like a, a whole fitness type of thing? Yeah. yeah. So the, the other thing here is like, in many of these cases, like like these patients, she she's been focusing too much on on the matches. She hadn't had the time. She's really talented because she she's she's had a really really she's she's built for handball, and if she's also really tall, uh, then what we call it's a, she's a like pseudo talent. Like she's she's tall. That's not talent. It's just good parents, uh, and. That makes her really good at handball. And if she's left-handed, then it's like, then that's the jackpot. Because then you're tall, you you have the like the motor skill, the handball brain, and you're left-handed. That's then you make then you really really. Wait, unique. why does why does left-handed make a difference? Yeah, because when when you're playing, so you have in handball you have have six players. You have three backcourt players. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have the back wing, left wing, and, and right wing. So if you're right wing you throw with your left to get a good 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 uh, good window for the for the goal it's better to be left-handed okay yeah okay. but only 15 percent right. is is left-handed so if you're left-handed you're just really attractive got it got yeah. it okay so what many of these young players do they do they play a lot, a lot of matches because that's that's the fun part of it sure but eventually they have to have that physical fitness so what we're trying to do is through these months, how long it now will take to get her back to the throwing, we also have this opportunity to build up her handball fitness. We're trying to focus on that as much as possible. And we know that like 70% of the throwing velocity comes from the lower limb. So we're trying to get the whole kinetic, kinetic chain. So we do a lot of medicine ball throwing when, when, when she gets the shoulder strength for it. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, like trunk strength, trunk rotational strength. Uh, so it's not just focusing on, on, the, on the shoulder. What would you, if you were to give, you know, a bit of a summary about this particular player, given her mechanism of injury and what you found objectively and what you did as a treatment, what would a summary be? How would you summarize this patient for us? Yeah, as, as I started, it's, 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 not in youth. This is this is like the most common patient that I see in in, in the young handball player. So she's been spiking her her load, uh, especially during the summer season. When she's off season, so she stops throwing, and then she's come back and start throwing. And and she's had a little bit of problem before the summer, 
and uh, so it's, it's like gives you a hint that this is something that was just under the radar just hadn't flared up anymore mm -hmm. and uh, the thing as I said the, the thing that we, we want to do is if we it's it you can make it really easy like the player often tells you what 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 the mechanism like you can pretty much like I, I have a shoulder pain it started when I, I did whole week of throwing and the weeks before I went to Greece so you just have to okay how can we fix it but pretty much same thing gonna happen next week are you going to Greece next summer yeah yeah it was so fun so I have to go back okay are you going to the summer camp yeah that was also so fun okay so that's what we have to work with so in this case what I do with many of the players is they have to do something during the summer so you have to do a throwing program during the summer you don't have to to throw the hardest you can every day but just just keep the shoulder going. Just you don't rest it. Just keep it going, so it's so it's 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 quite ready for for what's to come. And also incorporate the parents into this because she's 13 years old. So the parents have to understand like this is this is now she's 13. You have a sore shoulder. It's not going to go away by itself. So you have to think about it you don't you don't have to stress it's not the whole world you don't have to go think about your shoulder for every second of the day we don't want that but we want it to be shoulder smart so don't don't start throwing without any proper warm-up if you feel the shoulder is starting to get painful it doesn't doesn't uh, it's still sore like after a week even though you rest like okay then, then you have to do something about it so it it's it's quite normal when you get it that you get it again during the next season at some point. Mm. So we just want them to get the, the keys or the, some, some things, some, some tools to be working with. So what, what will I do when this happens? When I start to feel something in my shoulder, okay, then I will stop doing the, the heavy throws for, for a couple of practices. And I, I will try to analyze what did I do wrong? And I would say in most of the cases, what I do is like, I stop doing my, my shoulder routine. I felt so good so and in this age like they're immortal mm -hmm. like as soon as they don't have any pain like uh, I'm immortal so just giving them the tools like this is really important that you do this you have the opportunity to get not just stay shoulder healthy but also gain performance mm -hmm. if you do this program you will increase your throwing velocity for like 10-15% and that's really really much and that's, I think, the language that we have to talk with them, especially the player, but also the coaches. Like, they they care, but they care more about the performance than mm -hmm. injury prevention. Sure, sure. So, kind of reframing that from we're going to do this to prevent injury to we're going to do this so you become a better player, you become more yeah. explosive, you become stronger, you become yeah. more attractive as a player, yeah. Yeah. which is great. Yeah, yeah. because the, I think we we like we, sh we should never ever mention like prevention <laughs> it's it's because they, they don't, don't well, it's gonna go in like, one year and right out the other yeah yeah but if you say like do this then you're gonna throw harder and like oh wow okay that, that, that's really really cool because you can't talk about risk with someone like 13 or 15 or 16 mm -hmm. like that's all what they do every day long they take risks like they do idiotic things that's <laughs> that's that's that, that's their job right, that's right. when you're adolescent like you already have right. no hormones just you do you do if you think about the things you did when you were 16 like your first trip down to Ibiza or, or like whatever like 
I grew up in Pennsylvania. I'm not going to a pizza when I'm 16. I, I, I just took it one day. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, but it, I think you took some risks when you were when you were lessons. So if someone said, oh, you shouldn't do that," you shouldn't they're like, "Ah, oh, okay, whatever." They say they just yeah, whatever, whatever. So we have to turn that around, and yeah. and uh, I said like. The main thing with, with her, we, we don't see, if we summarize, we don't see any, any history where we suspect any major injury. And, and she pretty much told us what happened. Like she didn't get pushed, she didn't land it on her shoulder in a specific angle. She just spiked her load. That's, mm-hmm. that's what she did. And that's yeah. the most common thing. And then we work backward, like, okay, how, how like, the last months and then we're down to your week and how's your day mm-hmm. and that's what we ask about like how's your sleep how's your nutrition because she's in that age that's really really important and we know that now from some swedish studies that mm-hmm. that is a specific risk factor if you don't reach the, the recommendation of nutrition and, and sleep you increase the risk of, of having a sports injury so all those small details everything that we can can change mm-hmm. and in this case we i think we just have to focus on that instead of trying to focus on what specific specific structure in your shoulder is causing yeah. the pain or what specific if you can just change the angle of your throwing like no it's just calm the things down and this is how you throw okay now we're going to build up the capacity so you can throw in in the way you've been throwing for seven years as, as long as it's not just looks like oh this is this is not going to happen, really but this yeah. is really problematic. But again, that's, that's, then we became really, really subjective. Like we, if you look right. at any sport, we see people like, how can you even run if you look like that? I know and you like, see it all the time. And these yeah. are an elite, yeah. elite, elite athletes. Yeah. There's no yeah. way you're going to change someone's running pattern. If they've just run the New York city marathon three times in a row, like it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And in this case, we did, I didn't bring it up, but, but scapular dyskinesia is something that's been discussed for the past 20 years since, since, the, since the first paper came up on it. Mm-hmm. And, and we see now it's, it's, it seems to be a risk factor. Uh, all the studies, are, most of the studies are on handball players that we received the association. And the latest one from, from Denmark, from Mary de Miller, showed really, really nicely how scapular dyskinesis interact with with spiking the workload so it what they showed is like it doesn't matter what your shoulder looks like if you spike the load too much it, you're going to get busted anyway right and on the other hand if you don't spike it it could look really really biomechanically like really messy right but if you don't spike your load you you're able to adapt to that yeah and on the other hand we don't know if we can really change the the scapular dyskinesia if we can just fix that if you do these exercises and we look at you six months later it would in many cases look the same mm-hmm. but the pain will 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 be won't be there anymore right so right. i tend not to focus on it it's more like okay we have a major scapular dyskinesia they could play a role, but in the end, I probably end up with pretty much the same exercises because it's got it. Yeah. Got so it. it's so it's ten years ago. I was I was like that was the main thing that I looked at. Like oh, I measured it and like video film it and everything. I showed the player like look what's going on on the back of your shoulder. Yeah. But it's the more and more you work with it, and 
and it's like many other things like you, you start doing something and patient gets well anyway right. then it's like oh okay right. okay i could probably focus on other things that might be more beneficial and the patient might actually have some buy-in with yeah still not really convinced about the whole scapular dyskinesia it's probably a thing in in what we see in our handball place but it doesn't really change that much Mm-hmm. Like, if anything, is could say, like, okay, you have this and you're weak in your shoulder, you really shouldn't spike your load from, from what we know from the evidence. So now, yeah. is there anything that we've missed? Because if not, I have one more question for you. Okay. Now, I'm just going to take a sip. Yeah, take a sip, mull it over. Did we miss anything? Is there anything else about this that you really want therapists to know about when it comes to this kind of overworked, overhead athlete. If a young, like a kid or youth player, if they have pain on the same specific pot, spot, like if they always point in this spot on the knee, on the shoulder, like mm-hmm. it's here, and it goes on for several days or for a week, and they, they try to relax and then they come back, now it's the same spot, now it's the same spot. If that happens for a week, like it's not, not like seven days, that's a magic number, but mm-hmm. say roughly for a week, it probably won't go away. What, what you're doing, just keeping on playing, it won't just go away. Mm-hmm. But if it's just something pops up, oh, my, my, my hamstring feels a little bit, and the other day, now it feels fine. And now it's like my lower back feels a little bit. It's probably something that comes with sport, and especially with the young players when they're not really, really used to do some heavy exercises the first mm-hmm. time they do something new. They get some muscle soreness. It comes with the... With the, with the like a side effect or yeah, it comes with the territory when you're playing um, competitive sports. I mean, we've all played competitive sports. I mean, I, I was a softball pitcher for many years and like I would pitch the next day. I would be, my arm would be super sore. Yeah. But then by like Monday, like I played on a Saturday by Monday, it would be back to normal again. So I never really worried about that too much because it was part of the game. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to tell, tell the, the parents or the coaches because everyone's like, oh, when, when should we seek care? And I'm like, if, if it goes on for a week and it's the same spot all the time, it's always pointing at the same spot. Like now it's still sore, it's still painful here, it's still painful. Then I think that then you have to change your strategy. Then you can't just play on. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's sound advice. Yeah. I think it's, it's just something that comes from experience. Mm-hmm. Like, for sure. Because if you're going to seek medical care for everything that, that, a little bit painful if you into sport like like handball or yeah softball pitching or, or any other like sports that put a, like quite physical high high physical demand mm-hmm. then then you then you won't do anything else than run to the clinic right yeah. right yeah absolutely then then you have a, a constant rehabber yeah yeah which is not good no no it's not good and, and that, I'm sure, has psychological carryover into many other areas of life. I don't know what that is. I'm not a psychiatrist, but I, I can't imagine it can't be good. I no, think, no. I think because, you become very fearful of movement. And no one, yeah. you should never be fearful of movement, especially no. as a child. No, and, and especially what we know nowadays around the pain and, and everything that goes on. And I yeah. think this, this is the age when you're, you're really exploring pain and what it is. So it, I think it's like many other things in your life. It's, 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 you learn like, oh, this hurt like hell. Oh, it's because of this. And it, oh, it went away. It's nothing, it's nothing serious. It's nothing dangerous. So just 
yeah, I think we should yeah. be careful on that side as well. We're going to wrap things up, but before we do, I ask everyone yeah. the same question. Sorry, I didn't preface this to you beforehand, but no. that's okay. Um, so given where you are now in your life and in your career, what advice would you give yourself as a new grad? My first advice would be never be afraid to ask questions. Never be afraid to send an email or, or ask someone on Twitter. Or the, the worst thing that could happen is, is that they, they don't answer. That's, uh, I think, yeah, would be the worst thing. Yeah. yeah, if you never but, ask the question, the answer is always no. Yeah. Yeah, so so that's my major advice, and that's something that I learned through years. Like, ah, oh, should I ask that? That's probably a dumb question, or or that person has done so much, or or whatever. Just just keep asking questions. Yeah, that's that's the major thing. And the other thing is is be really really humble of what you what you can, especially when you're working in sports. You're you're there for someone else. It's yeah. not for you. Uh, if, if you gain something of it more than, than just the happiness of, of hopefully getting someone back on the pitch on the course, uh, that's, that's bonus thing, but you're there for someone else. Like someone put their literally their career in, into your hands. So, so be humble with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing. And nice. yeah. And try to, to watch other people other people working just trying to ask if you can spend a day with them in the clinic because you learn so much you learn so much of just just sitting there and watching you don't even have to ask questions during the session just taking notes on what happened there and what just it's and it and it's that's goes whether you're in like a new rookie or a new graduate or if you were working for 20 years just you always learn something new it's it's really 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 useful so and it goes with the, with the first one just send an email yeah. The worst thing is like, no, I'm too busy, or I don't, I don't, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't do that, do sorry. I don't do that, sorry, but, but at least, I mean, just to know. But you gotta try. Most of the people that I know uh, would, are happy to do that. Yes, I agree, I agree. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this. This was a great little mini master class. So where can people uh, find you if they have questions or they want to reach out to you? Where's the best way? I think the best way is through Twitter. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think that the best way, email or, or through Twitter. Yeah. yeah. And we'll have your yeah. links to Twitter. Well, what's your Twitter handle? It's just at... Um, I think it's at Martin Asker. Martin Asker. I think it is, is too. It? I think so. Yeah, I think, I think so. so. Um, but at any Good. rate, just for all the people listening, we'll have a yeah. direct link in the show notes to your Twitter account and also to any resources that we might that you might have mentioned. If there's any studies that you want to send our way, yeah. we can put them all in the show notes so people can do one click and go right to it. So thank you so for much sure. for coming on. Ah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Kim. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. And everyone else, thanks so much for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thank you for listening. And please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.